This is The Creative Double Shot, a conversation about building the creative life you want. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Ginger. If you want more creativity in your life, let's talk. Hello, welcome to Jonathan's Story, our episode of the Creative Double Shot podcast. And uh, today I'll be your host uh, while we... What are you normally? (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. I'm always the host. (laughs) But usually, uh, you know, Jonathan, I defer to... You know, no, I have more mic right. time. Anyway, no, I, I, I uh, encourage that because, yeah, <laughs> I like to I like to jump in when it's comfortable, but um, getting started is a little hard. But anyway, so uh, today we're talking about Jonathan's creative trajectory. And uh, so I just wanted to kind of talk to you about yeah. what do you, do you feel like your beginnings, creative beginnings? I'm and, glad you asked that. Um, it started out as uh, cosmic dust, and no. Uh, <laughs> so my my I love multiple creative outlets. Um, writing is my first and foremost, and there's some music in there as well. But I was what I was going to say was that probably in elementary school, uh, I remember we were doing book reports, and I the any of you ever read the Three Investigators? It was. Uh, I think it was a sort of an Alfred Hitchcock branded thing, but anyway, it was the, it was this story about these three kids who would solve mysteries. Um, they probably would get in gang fights with Encyclopedia Brown or something like that. But right. anyway, I read this one book. I think it was the uh, Mystery of the Haunted Mirror, and I had to the instead of writing just a regular book report, we had to write a chapter of that book oh. as to what came after. And I remember writing it, and I just loved it, and it was awesome. And then. Fast forward to middle school, so that was, I think, fifth grade. And then middle school, I remember, man, just loving short stories and stuff. And I remember writing one. I think I had read, um, I'm going to get this wrong, because, but I think it was Harlan Ellison. I didn't know it at the time. And it was a story called The Button. Mm -hmm. And there's been a movie or a Twilight Zone or something that's been made of it. And it's basically this idea that this couple has presented this box with a button in it. And it's like, hey, if you press this button, someone you don't know will die, but or you will receive uh, X amount of money, but someone you don't know will die. Oh. And so there's this temptation, right? Uh, and they're, they're like, no, no, we can't, we can't, we can't. And then, uh, of course, <laughs> because it was probably written in the 60s or 70s, so the husband goes off to work at some point, and the woman can't control herself because we all know that's how women are. Oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go with the man shit. <laughs> And so that aside, but she presses the button. And, uh, oh, boy. Sky nice shows, Adam and Eve story. <laughs> That's true. Harlan I, Ellison. I, I never thought about that before. That's really good. So anyway, and, and I tell this because I just I, – to this day, I'm just like, man, it's just a great – it's a it, not that part, but like the, the story. The t- it's a twist story, right? And so guy shows up at the door. He's like, hey, I have some bad news. Uh, your husband fell onto the train tracks at the platform and got killed by the train. She's like, no, no, no. I, I was told that if I pressed the button, someone I didn't know would die. And, of course, the kicker is like, well, did you really know your husband? <gasps> and I was just like, ah, oh, my mind is my, – my 13-year-old mind is blown, you know. And, uh, oh and so then part of that, part of that uh, module or whatever it was uh, had a very good uh, middle school 
English teacher. And anyway, it was like, all right, write your own short story. And of course, I'm like, all right, I got this short story. <laughs> Didn't know jack squat about how to write <laughs> stories. You know, of course, oh, well, you have the, you have the, this weird triangle thing and, and there's a denouement in there and, <laughs> and whatever. And so I wrote this story and it was trash. And, and, you know, started out, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And then I was like, I don't even know where to go with this. So I kind of blundered through to the end, and he was not impressed, and which is good, right? It's like, a, um, anyway, get to high school. I, I didn't do that much creative writing, really. I, I think I tried to start um, start something, and again, like, there was no planning. And, and so if I didn't know where I was going, it, it was hard to know what I was going to write about. To get there. Yeah. yeah, this is a fantasy story, and here's a guy, and he was given some magic stones. Stop me if you've heard this one before. <laughs> um, anyway, went to high school, uh, started doing, uh, I was on the newspaper, did journalism, stuff like that. And I was like, well, I still want to write fiction. I didn't know how I would even go about doing that then. You know, I was like, mm. so I was like, well, here's journalism. And when I go to college, let me go and get a journalism degree because this way I can continue to write even if I don't know what I want to write fiction about. And my other thought was, well, who wants to read anything by someone who's 18 years old anyway? So I was like, this is, so I went the practical route, which is my nature. I was like, all right. By the time I finished my journalism degree, I decided I hated journalism because you actually had to do research and <laughs> interview people and be factual. And, uh, Boo! <laughs> well, kind of, you know, that just wasn't my jam, you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't a hard-hitting investigative journalist and I didn't want to cover city council meetings and, and just all that stuff, you know. I, I just like the idea of writing, I think, more than anything. And then, and then I didn't write. I had a book I, you know, wrote stuff in. And, of course, I was going to denigrate it and say just stupid little poems and stuff like that. But, you know, it was still part of it. Well, exactly, yeah. right? And so— I know. We have to learn to be kinder to ourselves. That's one thing we're going to try to help, help you all remember yeah, when we're helping ourselves remember. And so um, really wound up— Taking a total divergent path, actually, we'll, and we'll get back to the hindsight part, was a river guide. Um, we had to write staff papers. Um, I was an archaeologist, went to grad school to be an archaeologist, um, did a lot of writing for reports and stuff, archaeology, um, theses, things along those lines. Got a job after grad school for a consulting firm where we were writing reports. I wound up getting into writing EISs and environmental impact statements, things like that. Um, and then became woefully dissatisfied despite amazing money and perks and uh, wound up going back to the company that I guided for and became manager of that. And uh, try and keep this brief, but uh, did marketing for them for two years and then bought in and became manager for three years and then again was like well this isn't what i want either <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then we were able to sell the company and by doing that it kind of opened up this period where and it was a short period not as nearly as long as i would have liked but at a trade show for this rafting company i've been reading these thrillers my dad had given me a box of these thrillers like he would just churn through them like here you want these i'm like yeah sure so i'm reading this thriller and at the back of the book, there's an interview with this, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Steve Barry. And it just, he started, it was like, they were asking about how he got into writing and where, you know, just like in hindsight, it's like all the classic stuff that authors are always asked. But to me, it, it hit me and I was just like, man, kind of reawakened that whole writing desire. And I was like, man, I, so after I left the trade show that night, I went to 
I, I went and did the cliche. I went to a Starbucks. <laughs> I had my laptop. I, I got a thing of tea. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to see. I, I just started writing. And it was just awesome. I just lost myself in it. And, I, you know, the writing itself, I don't know. I, 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 I never wound up using that because it wound up, it was the beginning. It was the seed of a novel that I wound up writing. But uh, anyway, it was just, it was the start. And I just realized I wanted to do that. I remember sometime that spring, we had been bought by this other company, and I was still working for the rafting company, managing it. And it just, it, it turned out that this just wasn't what I wanted to do. And I remember coming home or at some point asking Ginger, going, you know, what would you think if I quit? Our, our child was three years old at the time, mm-hmm. and I was feeling like I was missing out. And Ginger said, I would love it. <laughs> because he was not happy. It was, yeah, the- it was, it was a classic. I told somebody this recently. I feel like I've been in this in some sort of startup industry, like shoestringing it along for the last 17 years, which isn't exactly where I want to be. Um, but anyway, it was just there was dissatisfaction, and um, it was the whole river company management thing was something that I thought I wanted, and I knew I would. It was something I said, if I don't do this, I'll wonder what if I had, you know, what would have happened if I had. And then so I did it, and I was like, oh, well, that's what happened. Now I know. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. It's like, all right, we're out of here. And then um, anyway. Try so, things. Trying things is a big part of uh, creativity. creativity. That's right. So anyway. Well, that's it. That's exactly right. And so the purchasing of the company, it, it was for a modest purchase, um, but it was enough that I could live for a year. It was about a year, maybe a little more without having to work. Because again, I think I mentioned, we mentioned in uh, Ginger's story where we live in, in West Virginia in our, our house and we just don't have a lot of overhead or we didn't. Right. <laughs> we might now, um, <laughs> but we didn't. And so we could, we could make it work with a very small, um, these, these payouts for the company, uh, the purchase of the company made it possible for us to kind of live and, and be fine. And, you know, of course, with a three-year-old, three-year-olds don't demand much as far as yeah. material goods or they don't eat that much. Um, I was still working as a counselor, by the way. So I still had a job. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, not that art isn't a job. See? Okay. Well, yeah. you had you had a regular. I had a regular paycheck. Yeah. Or a, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was helpful too, for sure. And so, but it was amazing and uh, wound up, there are a couple things we did. We, we put a small screened in porch on the back of our house and I also, we were talking about, oh, we'll get the garage redone. We'll make it a studio. Then we got an estimate. We're like, okay, we're not going to do that. <laughs> right. and, and so the compromise was I got a 10 by 10 shed and wound up. Man uh, shed. And this was before man shacks were popular, I swear. <laughs> exactly. No, was, we were on the cutting edge. Well, this was 2009. Um, and I had seen uh, Philip Pullman, the guy who wrote uh, his Dark Materials trilogy, he had a garden shed that uh, I Perfect. saw at one point he was, he donated it or he he had a drawing for it so that some other writer could have it because, of course, he outgrew it because he was making a bunch of money. Um, and I was like, that's great. So they got this shed and insulated it and ran the electric, um, had a space heater, air conditioner, just, you know, but it was small, easy to do those things with. And, and that became a place to go, like uh, Ginger was talking about in, in her story. Having that dedicated space was just amazing. And so it started out where I was, I'd go down and treat it like a job, like I'd go down in the morning. And then, you know, uh, you know, I'd have word count goals. Um, for, so I started working on this novel. And um, 
and it worked. Uh, there are a lot of things that we'll get to before too long here that are interesting. So that was the beginning of my practice as a writer, like a right, a constant dedicated, yeah. yeah. And it was interesting because I think in in hindsight, I probably went a little overboard in terms of like oh, I need to I need to write. And I remember you know being on vacations and stuff like where we'd go visit your family for Christmas and I'd get all cranky because I wasn't getting my writing time and. So that's, that was an interesting piece of the practice, too, is like over the years learning really how to, A, not beat yourself up, and B, right. uh, be forgiving of yourself, and C, knowing that the world's not going to end if you don't get your writing in. And I'll, I, should, I should say this, too, like, uh, although I've, I've been writing for, it's been, it was 12 years this past April when I quit the job and started in on this path, and and I, I'm back to, to I have a, I've had many jobs or a couple of very steady jobs in that time, so we couldn't live on those proceeds forever. But that time off allowed me to establish a practice. But again, in hindsight, I realized like ah, you know that that didn't it didn't need to be that way, right? Because I remember coming home from work when I was doing the rafting thing, and I'd come home at night and I'd try and write, and I just. You know, I'd be in the computer room, which was like the least feng shui place <laughs> was... on earth. It just, and I was tired, and I just, you know, that, I think that was when I started realizing I really want to do this writing, but I don't feel like I can do it with work. And and I I've, I've come full circle on that because I work full time. I've worked full time, except for 2019 since since 2011 to to now, and I've managed to carve out space. And one of the things I found, which uh, you know may believe this or not, I don't know, Ginger and I have talked about this a lot, is that if you have eight hours a day to work on your creative practice, chances are just just like a real job, you're not going to spend eight hours of pure productivity. You There's know? no way. And I find that I can still meet my word count goals and stuff like that with a full-time job because I have some time in the morning that carved out that sacrosanct. And you created you know? that time. That was revolutionary for me. I was very resistant when... Jonathan first brought up the idea of getting up a little bit earlier before earlier. our child, or a lot earlier, <laughs> like 6 like a.m. early. Instead of 7.30. Instead of 7.30 or 8. And our child was a late sleeper, thankfully, so that, that did help. Yeah. But still, that was revolutionary to my art practice. So you, well, you awesome. started that. Thank you. Having that time was awesome, and it was very freeing. And, of course, who, who doesn't want to not work? Um, but eventually, it's like okay, money's getting tight. Uh, let me see if I can figure something out. And and probably somewhere in there, you know, you had started your your art practice in in earnest. Um, right, my job. I can't was remember. Was eliminated the, in there somewhere. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> it was very foggy. There was a lot of drinking, a lot of booze. No, um, and so once i went back to work well i started working part time the, the the gig i got was that's what was available to me it was in digital marketing um with the company that i had worked for or worked with when the other rafting company bought us anyway um but it was a really cool environment um some really neat people i got to work with and i i uh i did that for 8 years almost exactly and the in 2012 was when i circumstances dictated that um, somebody left and there was an account that needed to be managed and I was kind of the last man standing for various reasons and it was an opportunity to go full time and so the money was alluring and I decided to take it. And that was when I think 
the morning practice. I was like, right. right. Oh my it's gosh, I can't go time. down whenever I want. I can't write from eight to eleven thirty and then go into work. So, I was like, and there was bitterness. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, dang, you know, I. <laughs> Oh, when the heck am I going to do this? You know, and yeah, because I, I, one of my narratives is that uh, writing at night, it just I'm all wrung out. I don't, which turns out also not to be true. Um, <laughs> but the more the morning is the best for me, and I feel like Ginger and I have talked about this too. That the morning is nice because you don't have all of the noise of the day in your head yet. You get up, things are pretty quiet and clear. You get a cup of coffee. I usually come down. I, I like to stretch for 15, 20 minutes. It's kind of meditative in its way. And sometimes I meditate too, maybe 10 minutes. And it's funny because that's, <clears throat> there are some days where I'm like, man, that's taking up my morning, my writing time. But I do know that my, my head is just in a better space. So my goal is to try and get a solid hour of writing in every day if I can. You know, And I, when I say every day, I mean every weekday. I don't, sometimes I'll write on weekends, sometimes I don't. Um, probably more often than not, I don't. And that's been good for me. Like as my practice, that kind of helps me like take a break. One of the things that I've found, and I think Ginger would agree with this, is that over time, you put pressure on yourself mm-hmm. to create. Oh, I got to get down. I got to get in there and make something. Just that productivity thing that, yep. that you were talking about. And, uh, and the reality is, so here, here, <laughs> here's the other piece of my story is that I have published a single short story in 12 years. And which, which was awesome, but also it's like, well, that was fleeting. And, and again, we talk about those external motivators and the internal motivators. And there are times where, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm in the process of revising my second, like, full novel. I've, I have three, dra- three novels I've written, but one of them is just a first draft, um, which is an achievement in itself, right? Like cel- celebrating these I'm, things. Yes. Um, and... When I first started this, you know, I had these ideas of how this was going to go. Oh my gosh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to bang through this. I'm going to do this. Then what I found is the first draft is the easiest because I can just do timed writing, crank it out, and get the bones down. And it's it's the revision and the editing. Oh, where the, the conscious mind or the inner critic has a bigger chance to get in yeah, there. Yeah, and it, it's kind of <laughs> it's it's not unlike when in Christmas Vacation Clark hands. What's his son's name? Rusty. Oh, yeah, they're all rusty. All the sons are rusty. <laughs> Hands Rusty the big ball of Christmas lights. You're like, here, Rusty, untangle this. That's what, that's what I feel like revision is like. But one of the things that I keep having to come back to in my practice is reminding myself that this is really the best part. It's, it's the hardest part, but it's the best part because then over time, and it, and it takes a long freaking time, I'm always, like, I'm always unrealistic about how long it's going to take to revise. Ah. Ah, yeah, five, six months, it's like a year and a half later. Oh, oh, here we are. And then, you know, you get down on yourself and stuff like that. But anyway, that's when you start to see things take shape and become like more three-dimensional. You get more depth. The characters start to come to life. You ditch characters. You ditch storylines. You ditch your favorite passages because they just, it's like, well, it's not really adding to the story, but it's a nice piece of wordsmithing. And so I guess when I went back full-time, started the morning practice and have been doing that ever since. in 2019, I quit the, the digital marketing job and, and did freelancing. The reason I quit was because the company I worked for was in Salt Lake City and we had West Coast clients. And I, I felt like even though I was, at that point I was part-time, but I still felt like I was full-time because I felt like I was on call and the hours weren't matching up with my life. And 
and I was just like, you know what? Uh, it was scary because I had been taking uh, voiceover lessons because I'm like, that's something I had done a bunch of uh, science fiction fantasy podcast narrations along the way there, which was awesome. This mic that we're using for this recording was part of that equipment. But that was so much fun. It was just like, ah, oh, and used to do some live announcing in college for the Syracuse uh-huh. women's volleyball team. Yep. <laughs> you know, it always been, oh, you have a good voice. And, and it turns out that voiceover is, I don't know if any, anyone's been out there, it's super competitive for paying gigs. And I was also doing digital marketing freelancing. And, I, you know, I was getting paid, but a couple of things happened toward the end of 2019. My, my father passed and, uh, and <laughs> we were getting upside down in, in credit card debt. So I went back to work in digital marketing with a really good friend of mine who is, uh, just has an amazing company. You know, here I was back again where it's like, all right, uh, got to make sure. Because when I was freelancing, of course, like, oh, well, I don't have to finish writing at 8.30. I can, I can sleep in. I can go down later and write. And now I'm back to getting up at 6 a.m. And, and it's fine. And the other thing I've stopped doing is publication is ultimately the end goal. It's like, man, I want to be a published novelist. And I still do. And that's, that's fine, but that's not why. Ultimately, I want to tell a good story and I want to enjoy the process of, of seeing the stuff come to, come to life. And that's sort of that returning to the why. Like, why am I doing this? Oh, my God. Like, does anyone even care? It's pretty amazing to see the, like I was saying, to get that dimension, start to see that coming out. That's where I am in the revision process now. I'm probably in like draft three of this novel. And, um, and along the way, I, you know, I have, I've neglected to talk about a couple things as far as that have helped my practice and kind of kept me going. So I, I was doing those podcast narrations. I wound up signing on for a virtual writer's workshop in uh, 2014. The podcast that I narrated for the most was The Starship Sofa, Tony C. Smith, bless you. Um, and he had, he used, man, I, I think he's such an, uh, and he's still, still out there. He's an amazing innovator, especially at that time, and, and uh, wound up winning, I think, at least one Nebula Award for his podcast. And, but he had these, this online writing workshop, and it was, uh, so I get this right, um, I think it was Mike Resnick, Nancy Kress, and these are, those two are like powerhouses of the industry. And then uh, this guy, Paul DeFilippo, who maybe is a little lesser known, but kind of writes some weird fiction and just really my jam at the time and actually i just yeah anyway amazing guy so i if i donated an extra 50 bucks which i was like well i would get a critique of the first 50 pages of my novel and so we did that and and that was pretty cool and he you know the one he said i had chops which was like oh Ah, man this guy who i respect yeah yeah and uh but the the one thing he told me he was like you know you should you should go to cons you know to conventions and they're a ton of science fiction fantasy conventions all over the country, all times of the year. And I wound up going to Capclave in 2014. That's, a, that's one in, uh, just outside of D.C. Uh, and it, because it was accessible, it's was like, okay, this isn't that far away. Um, you know, it's like, ah, you always like, oh, the cost, the cost. It's right. always the cost. And, and did it. And it just happened to be the Capclave that George Martin was, that mm-hmm. was a, like at the height of his powers. I mean, he still has heightened powers, probably even more so now after the HBO stuff. But, um, but he was very accessible then, and, and you know, people could go up and talk to him in the bar after the convention and stuff like that. And I think I scared the hell out of him by going up to him late at night as he was, I think, <laughs> headed to the elevator, like, hey, I just wanted to say, 
you know, man, thank Help you so much. Well, and I, you know, pretty much. And then I drooled on myself or something. But, uh, but it was cool because it was the first time I had, I was able to be around other writers and talk to writers. And that was, that was a huge shot in the arm. And also to go, you know, to go to symposiums and hear people talk about writing and Building discuss things. Building your art community. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The community and just like as an art, art is a very solitary practice too, right? Yeah. It, or it can be if you don't. And it's just nice to know you're out there with people. And so there was that. So I did that for, I went to Capclave for a couple, two or three years. And then I, and then I ran into this other guy at Capclave, Palabachigalupi, who is also a, a writer I very much admired. And uh, he had burst onto the scene with the wind-up girl um, and I think he won some of the big awards that year, but or w- before I actually met him. And there was a, a you know a little fanboy moment, but uh, went up to this after party and somebody in one of the rooms that one of the I think one of the publishers was putting on. But anyway, just went up there and it was just like a wallflower talking to people. And uh, I, I found out that he was out on the porch, and I was like, oh wow, he's out there. And one of the other authors, another published author, said, oh, you want to meet him? Yeah, come on out. I was like, oh, okay. So I went out, but wound up, he was gracious enough to give me a lot of time during that convention. And we just talked about a lot, of th- a lot of writing stuff, but also other things. But he's like, hey, you should go to Worldcon. And I was like, Worldcon? He's like, yeah, it's, it's, in, it's in D.C. this year. And I was like, oh. Um, and it became a money thing and just like, oh, I don't think I can do it. So I didn't go, but I wound up going uh, the next year up in Saratoga Springs. Um, and then there I met some – and this is cool, right? This, the reason I'm telling the story is because I took action on recommendations. And, re- you know, I didn't just, like, blindly go. I, like, researched stuff. I'm like, okay, this seems like a good fit for me. And I went, and, you know, of course I imagined, like, oh, we're just, I'm just talking with writers all the time. But the nice thing about these writing conventions is there's always what's called BarCon, where most of the, most of the fun stuff happens in the bar after <laughs> the s- sessions are over or when you decide the sessions are over and you'd like a – cold, delicious beer. Um, but I, man, I sat, I plopped myself down and, and just was sitting there and, and these people started showing up and they would, were talking to each other, but then they would, they were kind, you know, they would be like, Hey, Oh, well, you know, what do you do? What, you know, whatever. And you start talking about things. And I talked to this one person and she was like, I, one of the things that I noticed going to this, I, and I should say this is actually world fantasy con, not world con. So world fantasy con. Oh yeah. Let's get this yeah. right. <laughs> Well, I don't want someone <laughs> saying, wait a minute, that wasn't in Saratoga Springs. And whatever. Right, exactly. I was like, oh, he got me busted. But um, World Fantasy Con, I noticed that there were a lot of people. Like I met the, these people I met at the bar. They were like, oh, well, hey, I'm, I got to go to dinner. I'm going with my, these people from this uh, writing workshop that I did. At, oh, from uh, Odyssey Writing Workshop or Viable Paradise or Clarion or what, you know, those are some of the bigger ones. And so I was like, oh, man. And so I was talking to this one woman, um, and uh, there's this huge contingent out of uh, Seton Hill University. They have this whole, like, speculative—I think it's speculative fiction focus, so, like, science fiction, fantasy. But they have a whole writing program there about being a professional writer and all that stuff. But she's like, oh, there's this—you know, she, we were talking about these things, and I was like, yeah, you know, I work full-time. I, I can't get away. Like, well, have you thought about Viable Paradise? Not to be confused with Bible Paradise, which is something <laughs> right. else I don't know— but uh, haven't been to that. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, you know, that sounds cool. But it was still a week. And I was just like, oh, man. The applications opened up. And I was like, you know what? I've got these. I, I decided to work on just short stories in 2017. 
and I had written a couple that I was really proud of. I was like, man, I feel like these are good. They kind of came out of the whole Michael Brown yeah. protests and, you know, his murder and all that stuff. And I just like, man, I, I just, I don't know, but it just really affected me. And, and I was trying to figure out how to explore some of that stuff via writing. Anyway, I submitted one of them and they were supposed to announce them at like the first of June. And I think I applied in like March, end of March, beginning of April. I was like, yeah, just throw it in there. And so June 1st comes around. It's like, well, you know, hey, guys, we're going to extend the review period because this is a record number of applicants this year. It's like, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? And so I was just like, whatever. And then I uh, maybe June 15th, uh, an email popped up in my inbox, and it's from Bible Paradise. I got, here we go. And I uh, read it, and I read it again. I was like, holy crap. I about teared up because it was really the first professional validation that, like, my writing was good enough to get accepted out of a bunch of people. And it's like, all right. And so that was a game changer for me. And now I have this community that people that were in my class, there were 24 of us, I guess. And so there's an ongoing uh, Slack channel that we communicate on. And, uh, but then you also get access to everyone else who's in Viable Paradise, who's, who wants to participate, right? So um, when you go to conventions, there's a whole Viable Paradise community. And so that's really a long story, but it was hugely instrumental for me in terms of the validation and also mm-hmm. helped keep me going. And what I found out was after talking with, um, with people like Max Gladstone and uh, Daryl Gregory and um, who else? Elizabeth Bear. But it was that, I was, you know, like you always want to know that you're doing it right. And, and you know, after I was like, well, this is what I do. I do this. And like, well, it sounds like you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. It's like, right. oh, well, shit. Okay. And so bring it all the way around. So this, this practice of, and I want to say this was within the last probably six months or so for me, literally, that I'm like, man, you've been doing this for this long. And so why, why are you doing it? And I feel like the, having this practice over the years is sort of the, the evidence that I need to tell me that I'm doing this because it's important to me. And so how do I, you know, I want to, I, I do want to keep it going. And I mm-hmm. do, and I find that like when I'm writing to try and meet a deadline or I'm writing to, I want to get this out there as soon as I can because I want, you know, I want to get published. That's always the wrong reason when it's like. And that I, starts to feel bad. It yeah. does. And then you're like, oh, my stuff is shit. And I don't even, you know, but then it's like, oh. Well, remember, this should be fun. If it's not fun, then you need to change something. And, it, you know, it doesn't mean it's not hard, but it's, if it's not fun, it's not gratifying, you need to change something. And so uh, it's, it's weird. You know, I keep saying, oh, I've been doing this for, you know, over 10 years. And it's like, oh, crap, it's actually over 12 years. <laughs> and, uh, and, and now that I hear your story, and we've been married for over 20 years, and I didn't know about that button story, for one thing. <laughs> and That's my secret. So... Much longer elementary school, you well, first I've got that had, spark for yeah. for the writing process. I've always had and for a, reading, of course. Yeah, and reading, reading, of course, is huge. And that's, a, I guess, that's another part of a practice too. Like the practice isn't always Just doing the thing. the thing that you're. Yeah. It's not always the creating. It's the it's the reading. It's the consuming, the absorbing of all the stuff around the thing you create too. When I tell this story, it's inspirational again to me. And, it's, you know, it's not an amazing story. It's just a story of perseverance and practice. Yeah. And, and the desire and the... And the fact that, like, I mean, 
look, if publication was my only reason, I would have stopped a long freaking time ago because, yeah. you know, like we're not there. But, I, you know, the, the satisfaction of getting better and to be able to recognize things that I wasn't able to recognize before and that you come to the point of it's like I can go to as many workshops as I want. I can, I can have as many conversations as I want. I can have as many critiques as I want. But ultimately, I have to, at some point, you have to trust your instincts. Because, like, what if, you, you know, if you're an amazing artist or, or writer or musician, but you don't trust yourself, then you're still going to always be subject to those external reactions to your stuff as opposed to going, well, yeah, I know that not everyone's going to like what I'm doing, but right. I love it. And exactly. there, are, there are people out there who are going to love it with me. And so I think that's a, that is an unintended takeaway of having a, a consistent practice. Yeah which is really gratifying in its own right. If you can still derive joy from the practice, yes. then it doesn't, the rest is all, anything else is gravy. And I think it's really worth going back to your childhood and thinking about what, you, what lit you up yeah. back then. Before it was beaten out of you. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but it is, you know, like you, 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 oh, you got to get serious with your life. You right, know, exactly. How, well, that's not practical, you know. And yeah. We're, uh, our child is 15, will be 16 in December, and we talk about this a lot amongst ourselves, Ginger and, and me, that, you know, we know, we would, you know we'd love for them to find their, their joy and go to school and, and be able to get some sort of job that they're not destitute. But at the same time, we also know, having been through college and grad school ourselves, that it's just another step on the journey. So. Your journey in school, and I know it costs a lot of money, so there's that aspect, but your journey in school doesn't have to be, well, I need to be an accountant so I can make money. And that, that's like, in my mind, that's, that was my mistake, was going to be to go into journalism school because it was practical and I figured I could make a living doing that. And I've never made a living doing journalism. Right. But, uh, oh, and uh, the last thing, I know this is running very long. Um, when I said earlier, the hindsight thing about writing, you know, I've, the coolest thing about the journalism degree, however, and I, and I would maintain you could do this with an English degree or a creative writing degree, but is I've always been writing. Right. Uh, even if it's been technical stuff or whatever, you, you still have to convey ideas through writing. And so I didn't even know it, but I'd been practicing yeah. then too, right? And, yeah. and that, that was kind of neat. You know, I think of people who do graphic design and also do art. Um, you know, if you can find ways to, you know, sometimes cover your ears but you know sometimes making your passion into your work can be soul deadening right Right, exactly and it's okay yeah it is a lot of pressure that sometimes well right and and so this is this is another episode but i I can't help myself the idea that that's like one of the things like oh you got to monetize everything it's always and it's okay not to it's okay to to you know be a sanitation engineer by day i mean there are a million stories of Trollope. And, right. And postal worker. Yeah, he was a postal yeah. worker. He wrote these huge novels, but he would get up in the morning, work until an exact amount of time. I think this is in Stephen King's on writing. And then as soon as when it was time to go, he just put his pencil down wherever he was and go on. And and he he just he cranked these things out because he made it a practice. Yeah. And so that's kind of neat. And man, it's amazing if you do the practice, you start looking back at your body of work whether you think it's good or not, it doesn't matter. It's like you, you put in the time, to, you know, with the intent of, I guess, mastery. I don't know. Yeah. And, and there are plenty of people who 
And so, yeah, it, that doesn't have to be a goal either, right? Right. There are plenty of people who can just like, yeah, I'm just going to write this, uh, this fanfic because it makes me happy. Or I'm going to just uh, do paint by numbers, hell. Yeah. And it makes me happy. Or what sidewalk chalk, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Join in next week for part one of ten of the rest of my story. <laughs> I'm afraid I wasn't much of an interviewer in terms of asking you questions, but, uh, you know, you – that's all right. You're, is everyone still awake out there? You're good at coming up with your own questions internally <laughs> that then you answer. <laughs> well, I appreciate you letting me go on, and I appreciate – if you're still with us on this, then thank you for hanging out. I hope – you know, like we said at the end of Ginger's, you know, that these stories are, you know, in some ways are very mundane, right? Yeah, exactly. But, but hopefully is, there's inspiration in that. Yes, um, and it... Because it's, it, the, the idea the is that... every it, man's creative. Well, it's... <laughs> and, and the reality is, it's like, yeah. You, every woman's, excuse me. That's right. Every person's. Every person's. And you can... Yeah, it's, it's out there. It's waiting for you to figure out how it works for you and how you can build it into your life. And so I promise that subsequent podcast episodes will provide conversations about more of the particulars. <laughs> Reading this Tony Robbins book right now, and it's like, you know, <laughs> chapter 800, and it's like, but we'll be telling you about how to do that in chapter 110. <laughs> and so that's, that's what we're going to do, and, and then you'll find out the emperor's new clothes awaiting you. <laughs> anyway, uh, hope you tune in next time, and uh, we'll be getting back to talking about, oh, yeah, look at this, creativity oh. on your terms. And kind of goes right into, into exactly what we're talking about here, like trying to figure yes. out how to get it in there, how to get your practice going, whatever that looks like. And so we'll talk more in depth about just some, some, maybe some strategies that you can use to carve out time, carve out space, and get after whatever it is you want to get after. Yes. And I'll also be talking about my... Uh, my guitar learning experience <laughs> then as well, <laughs> which was probably my first real foray into creative practice. Right. I, yeah, won't, I won't really tell you about that that no. next time. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> but sometime. That'll be uh, episode 29. <laughs> anyway, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The Creative Double Shot. See ya.